right, our young children can head out at this time for Children's Church. While they're headed out, if you would go ahead and grab your Bibles, we're once again in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 15 uh, through 19. We'll read 15 through 22 uh, this morning. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We've been looking uh, at these verses in chapter 5 and we've seen uh, that really the first half of Ephesians, Paul is laying some theological groundwork. And then in the second half of Ephesians, he focuses on our walk, our lifestyle. And he gives things that are very practical, very down to earth kind of commands in light of the gospel realities uh, that we've seen in, in the earlier uh, chapters. I want you to imagine this morning a common scenario for those of you who are parents. I think you you have experienced this uh, probably a number of times. For those of you who have young children, uh, it's something that you will experience, uh, and and it's something that it it gives a little bit of trepidation to you. But as as your children grow up and begin to go out on their own and do things on on their own. Uh, sometimes you become, or, or at least you feel rather powerless, like you're not there with them, uh, you're not seeing what they're doing, and uh, so you give them words of caution, you give them words of warning, and after everything that you've said, you, you say, be careful, be careful. We want them to be careful. What, what do we have in mind when we tell our kids to be careful? Usually, we, we mean to be cautious about what's going on around you so that you don't unintentionally get into a bad situation. We mean things like, I think, do what is right, what, what you're supposed to do, what I've trained you to do, what I've taught you to do. Do, do what's right. Be careful. Remember the things that, that we've taught you about wrong and right and, and make sure that you're living accordingly. And we mean things like stay in control. Don't get into a situation where you lose control. Don't go out and get drunk or do drugs or don't get so hyped up uh, by your friends that you act like an idiot and do things that are out of control. Be careful. I think that's, those are the kinds of things that we mean when we tell our children, be careful. And that's exactly what we see Paul calling us to and encouraging us to uh, in verse 15, he says, look carefully, then how you walk, live carefully. Uh, he's calling us not to uh, be careful just as we go out for the evening or when we're gone for a weekend or when we go away uh, from our parents. But, but this is a life. He's saying in your life, throughout your life as a believer, be careful. I think this morning what, what we see is that a careful life is one that wisely takes advantage of every opportunity and seeks the will of the Lord in all that he or she does by yielding uh, his or her life 
to the Holy Spirit. Now we, we have here the structure of, of this text. You see in verse 15 is I think the main command. Look carefully then how you walk. And then he goes on from there to sort of flesh that out. What does that mean when, when he says to be careful? Well, it's kind of some of the things that we mean when we talk to our, our children. He does this. He, he breaks it down by, by giving us three contrasts. Uh, so you see this. He says, making the best or, or at the verse, end of verse 15, not as unwise, but as wise. There's the first contrast and he fleshes that out. He says, making the best use of your time because of the days but because the day, days are evil. So the, the first contrast, not as unwise, but un, as wise. This is what it means to live a careful life. And then we see the second contrast in verse uh, 17. This is what I mean when I say live a careful life. Paul is saying, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. And then the third contrast is in uh, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. Don't do this, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So those three contrasts, the the big command, the main command is live carefully. And then under those are those three contrasts. And we're going to look at those this morning. Really, we're going to focus almost all of our time just on that first one. Uh, We're going to talk about what it means to live carefully uh, and then making the best use of our time. And we'll, we'll mention rather quickly the final two. And then next week when we come back, uh, we'll dig into what it means to be filled with the spirit and look at that in, in a little more, uh, a little more detail. So the call for us this morning is to live carefully. He, he says, look carefully, then how you walk. We, we've talked about this word walk already. Uh, walk is just a, an expression that Paul uses to talk about your lifestyle. This is, this is how you live your life. It's used eight times in, in the book of Ephesians and it's talking about your lifestyle or your, your conduct. And he says the way that you are to live then, your, your conduct is to be a careful, a cautious kind of lifestyle or, or conduct. We are to live carefully. The King James Version, I think, has a good word. Uh, walk circumspectly. Uh, and that's an old word you probably don't hear a whole lot today. I'm sure most of us don't use that word very often, but but it has the idea of looking around, be, being aware of your circumstances in your life, not just as you walk into a room, right? But in your life, you're 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 cautious. You're looking around. the The Greek word, the the original word that is is used here, really has the idea of precision, like you're cutting a pattern. Be careful. You got to make sure that you're following the pattern that's laid out for you carefully. There's precision. And so that's what he's, he's calling us to here. Uh, we, we are, uh, to be careful in the way that we live. We are to be watching around. We're to live with caution, always on guard, looking around, being sure to follow the pattern of living that has been given to us by God in Christ. We are to live carefully. Well, why does Paul tell us to live carefully. What, what is it about life that, that makes us need to be cautious as we live? That, that we need to be on guard as we live our lives? That we need to be sure that we're following a certain pattern of living? Why is it that Paul is so concerned that you live a careful, a cautious life? Well, I think what he wants us to understand and what he's going to go on in chapter six to talk about what he's talked about already in chapter two is the fact that we are in a, a very real battle as Christians 
And we have a very real enemy who would seek to do us harm and who would seek to destroy and derail our faith. So be careful. The Bible teaches that we actually have three enemies as Christians, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We see these in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul has already mentioned this when he's recounting who we were before we were believers, before the Lord saved us. This is what he said about the way that we live. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That's our first enemy, the, the world. Following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. This is our second enemy, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our sinful desires, our sin nature. That's the third enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil are the three enemies of the believer. And it is because of those enemies that we need to be cautious in our life. We need to be careful about the way that we are living. Now in Christ, we need to understand this. We have been given victory over all of those enemies. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2. You once were dead in those things. Once those things dominated you and ruled over you, you had no power over them. In Christ, you've been given a new life that that sets you free from those things. But here's the reality this morning is that even though we've been given victory, as long as we remain in this fallen world and as long as we remain in these fallen, sinful, corrupted bodies, these three enemies will continue to powerfully assault you and to seek to derail your faith. So we need to be careful. The remainder of our Christian lives then is characterized by warfare. And I don't think that we will read that, but we're going to be getting into that In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, maybe I will read it. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We have an enemy, Paul is saying. We're in a battle and you need to be prepared for it. And so he's kind of gearing up for that. And he already says, look, be careful in the way that you live your life. We have an enemy. Our our first enemy, I said, is Satan. And we see that in Ephesians chapter six. He's saying, look, your battle isn't against flesh and blood. Your battle isn't against kings. It isn't against presidents and congressmen. It isn't against armies. We don't fight it with guns and swords and physical weapons. Uh, Your your battle is not a battle over laws. It's not a battle that's fought with missiles that that has treaties. And and your battle isn't a battle over legislation. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle. We need to be reminded of that, Christians. Your battle is against Satan and against his demons over the cosmic forces in this present life. There are spiritual forces around us and involved in our lives and we need to be ready and prepared because they are very real and they seek to destroy us. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded. This is the same kind of thing. Be careful, be sober-minded, be watchful, circumspect, right? In, In the way that you live. Why? Because your adversary... Maybe you didn't realize you had an enemy, but you do. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is against you, and he's like a lion that wants to destroy you. 
So you need to be cautious. You need to be careful. You need to be sober minded. You need to be circumspect in the way that you live your life. We also have an enemy, the flesh. Our flesh is our own sinful desires, right? They, they no longer control us. They no longer dominate us. We've been set free. And yet they are still there as somewhat of uh, a resistance movement, if you want to think of it in that way. If you think about a, a real battle, right? Uh, you can think of an army going in and taking the capital city. Uh, they've won the battle. They, they are in power. They're in authority. And yet there are these little pockets of resistance spread out over the country uh, that, that still have to be dealt with, that still have to be battled and fought. That's, that's what's happened to us in salvation. Christ is our king. He's ruling over us. He's defeated the power of our flesh. We're no longer ruled and dominated by that. And yet there are still these little pockets of resistance within our own, within our own bodies, within our own sin nature that we must do battle with. And Paul is very clear, right, then that, that we are to be fighting these. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, he says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Paul is clear. If you're a believer, you're not in the flesh, meaning you're not dominated any longer by the flesh. And yet it's still there. You still have to do battle because this is what he says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You have power over your sin nature. You have power over those sin, uh, sinful desires that you have. And yet there's still a very real battle that you must fight. Our struggle then as Christians is to yield to the spirit of God rather than to yield to our flesh. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, the Spirit of God lives within you. You have the power to overcome those fleshly sinful desires, but you have to yield your life to the Holy Spirit. This is the enemy that, that we have to fight. We need to be careful because when we begin to yield our life when we begin to yield our body to those sinful desires, we fall back into uh, a, a state in which we don't do the things that we want to do. Like we say, I want to live for the Lord. I want to be pleasing for him. But when we're walking in the flesh, Paul says, I don't do the things that I want to do. But the things that I don't want to do are the things that I keep on doing. That's a picture of somebody who is yielding their life to the flesh. But Paul says, we don't have to live that way anymore because the spirit of God lives within us. And so as we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, we're set free from that kind of horrible life. So this is the second enemy, our flesh, the Satan, the flesh, and then the world is the third enemy. The world is in, in the Bible is used different ways. But as Paul is using it here, uh, the world is the powerful allure that the culture around us has. It's peer pressure exerted by the collective force of everyone around us saying, this is what is good. This is what is right. This is, this is what is beautiful. It's the opinions of our friends, the appeal of what is popular, the power of various media that we take in that which all makes sin look great and God look small. It's the philosophy at the universities and the lyrics in the latest pop song. It's what everyone else is wearing and doing and thinking. It's the air we breathe. And if we're not perceptive, 
We won't even know that we're taking it in. It just seems normal to us. That's the world and that is our enemy. We've got to be careful about the philosophy around us. What what is presented as normal and right and good isn't always up to God's standard of what is normal and right and good. This is the third enemy. And, And James tells us that if we are friends with the world, we're in a place of enmity with God. We can't be at home with God and at home with the world. Like you just can't live those ways. Like you can't be comfortable. Listen, if you're a Christian, you can't be comfortable in this world. There's just ways in which you are living that are going to be at odds with the way that everybody else is living. And if you are just comfortable with the way everybody else is living, if there's no difference, you're a friend of this world. You have put yourself at odds with God like they are opposites and you can't live in those two places. So Paul tells us in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. We see examples in the Bible of people who are, who do succumb to the power of the world. Jesus said when the gospel is preached, it's like seed that is sown. And some of that seed falls among thorny ground. And he says it sprouts up for a while. In other words, these people hear the gospel and they seem to want to believe it. They seem to want to live for Jesus. But then the thorns come and choke it out. And Jesus says that is people who hear the gospel and then the cares of this world choke out the word. We got to be careful that we're not so at home with the world that 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 the, the world is choking out. The cares of this world are choking out the word of God. In our life, I think of Paul in the book of Second Timothy as he's coming to the end of his life and in prison. And one of the things he writes to Timothy in Second Timothy four nine, do your best to come to me soon for Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. If you if you become at home in the world, if your love for the world is too strong, right? It's going to draw you away from Christ. And so it's an enemy that needs to be fought. All of these are are just showing us, look, this is why you need to be careful. He's saying, be cautious in your life. You've got real enemies that want to wreck your faith, that want to pull you away from Christ, that want to destroy your life, that want to destroy your marriage, that want to destroy your testimony. Be cautious in how you live your life. Just think about the overwhelming nature Uh, of these enemies. I think if we fully appreciated the spiritual forces that are coming against us to destroy us, to wreck our lives, to cause us to abandon our faith, to make us ineffective in the ministry God has called us to, we would tremble and we would be much more careful in the way that we live. Just think about what's at stake this morning in, in your life, your reputation and testimony. Listen, the book of Proverbs says that a good name is rather to be chosen than than gold, right? Your reputation is important. And if you're not careful, it can be gone in a minute. If you're not cautious, if you don't heed Paul's warning to be circumspect in the way that you live your life, it can be over. Your family can be wrecked. Your your marriage, your, your children, the faith of your children can be wrecked by your fall into sin. How often have, have we seen this, right? Somebody who, who falls into sin and their children 
everything that they've been taught, right? They just throw it out the window. I just can't believe this. I can't believe that my mom or dad would, with their whole life, they would say these things and live this way. And, and then all of a sudden it comes out that, that it was all just a sham. They've been living another way. It, it, it just calls into question everything that they've believed. Your family can be wrecked. The glory of God and the cause of Christ can greatly be harmed by your fall into sin. You, you bear the name of Jesus Christ. Don't do that in vain. God, God says don't take his name in vain. And when we live as Christians and then live in a way that it allows sin into our life, we're taking his name in vain. God says you as his people are to be holy because he is holy. We saw already in, in Ephesians 5, right? He says there are certain behaviors that shouldn't even be named among those who are called saints. Why? But because you're called saints. You're called saints of God. So th- these things shouldn't even be named among you. Pastors, I, I think of as, as I was studying and preparing for this, just, just the weight of this fell on me and how fa- how 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 often I don't live as carefully as I ought to. But I think of what Paul said to Timothy. He said, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself. Be careful. Why? He says, persist in this for so by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I speak to myself and to my fellow pastors. We need to be careful because it's not just us. Right. We, we can wreck an entire church. We, we can destroy the faith of others by by choosing not to live carefully. Church, you need to pray for your pastors. Like We're human beings. If we're not careful in the way that we live, even though we, we truly are genuine followers of Christ, we can fall into sin and bring much destruction to the church of God. Pray for your pastors. The reality is for all of us. God's grace is great, right? God can restore the fallen sinner and he does over and over again. Praise God for that. Praise God that, that, that you can never do anything that puts you outside the pale of God's grace, that puts you beyond the reach of God's grace. We, we praise God for that kind of grace. But we also recognize that even though we make, make a full recovery, right? You can't always undo the damage that has been brought about by your sin. So be Careful, be careful in the way that you live. Just think about David. As I studied this, I thought about David, how, how careless living is really what brought David down. You know, there, there doesn't directly say this, but just the details that it gives in the story of David, I think reminds us that David was not living a careful life, right? When he fell into sin, it says it was the time when kings go out to battle. And in, in the late afternoon, he arose from his couch and went out to this balcony, right? Kings were going out to battle. There, there was work to be done in the kingdom that he should have been doing. And, and instead, he's taking an af- afternoon siesta, right? Naps aren't always wrong. Uh, I, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into that. But, but I do think David was not fully engaged in the work that God had given him to do. He wasn't living carefully. And it was at that very moment that, de- that the devil used that as an opportunity to allure him into sin. He wasn't on guard. I don't think David was not on guard. He had forgotten the greatness of the responsibility that God had given him to lead his people. He had failed to remember the unbelievable grace that God had poured out on him. 
taking this little nobody, the youngest, the, the shepherd boy, and making him the king of his people. He wasn't thinking all about uh, how, how uh, the, this behavior, uh, how much would be lost by his sinful behavior. He wasn't thinking about uh, how this sin would lead to another sin and then to another even greater sin. He wasn't thinking about the lifetime of heartache that would come upon his own life and his own family as a result of this sin. He wasn't thinking about the division that this would bring into his family. He wasn't thinking about how he would lose his son and another son. He wasn't thinking about the kingdom and how that would be forever affected by his action. He wasn't living a careful life. He got comfortable and he got careless, and he had a great fall. And the reality is that can happen to me, and that can happen to you. So heed the instructions of the Apostle Paul here. Live carefully. See to it then that you walk carefully. Now he spells out here what that means in these three contrasts. The first, he says, uh, not as unwise, but as wise. We see here that, that careful living wisely makes the most of every opportunity. It wisely makes the most of every opportunity. Not as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom, I think, is, is the combination of, of several different qualities. It's, it's the combination of knowledge and discernment. It is, it is having the understanding to know what is right in any given situation and then having the fortitude to actually do what is right. Having wisdom certainly keeps us, I think, from sinful actions. There's certainly a moral element to wisdom, but it's much more than just knowing right from wrong morally. It's knowing what is the very best thing to do when you have a whole option of, of uh, a whole list of options. It's knowing what is very best among those things. In the book of Proverbs, we see that there's a path of wisdom. And there's a path of folly. There's a path of wisdom that leads to life, a path of folly that leads to destruction. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus said, if you build your life upon me, then you are wise and and you will face uh, the storms of life. Being wise is a broad subject and it could take us in a lot of different directions. But I think Paul specifies and clarifies exactly what he means when he says, don't be unwise but we will be wise. Namely, wise living is the kind of living that makes the best use of its time, that takes full advantage of every opportunity. So you see that, right? In in verse uh, 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. There's the contrast. And then here's the explainer of what what he means by living wisely, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. A wise person, a person who's living wisely, who's living carefully, is going to make the best of every opportunity. Now, this phrase literally means to to redeem the time, to redeem the time. Uh, But that's an expression that we don't, again, another expression we don't use very commonly. Uh, I think as my translation, the ESV uses, make the best use of the time. But that word time is, is not just the general word for time. It carries with it the idea of an opportunity. Like, like there's a window of opportunity. There's a time of opportunity. So redeem the time or make the best use of every opportunity. In fact, that's how the NIV translates it. 
make the most of every opportunity. I think that's a fair and, and accurate translation of what Paul is, is getting at. In other words, as you think about this, God has given you a limited space of time, and with that time comes some opportunity. You can fritter away those opportunities, and or you can redeem that time by using it for things of eternal significance. You can you, you can choose to use time in ways that are not necessarily outright outright sinful, but are benign, ineffective, vain, pointless, and without great meaning or worth. Again, wisdom is not just knowing this is sinful and this is not sinful. Wisdom is knowing what is the best in this situation. There are, there are many options. Many of them are not necessarily sinful, but wisdom is knowing this is the very best use of my time. And that's what Paul is calling us to, right? Because here's the danger for all of us, I think. The danger for all of us is to recognize, obviously, as a Christian, I should not be doing things that are sinful. I should not be living in ways that God has clearly told me not to live. And so as long as I'm not doing those things, then, then I'm good. I'm using my time. It doesn't matter how I use my time. I can watch TV. I can, I can do whatever, right? But, but what Paul is calling us to here is something greater than that, something more than that, because the reality is there's ways in which you can use your life and your time that are just ineffective for anything that really matters in eternity, Right. You can use up these opportunities, this time that you have, and you can spend it on a million different things that will be forgotten as soon as you die. And as soon as you're gone, or you can take those opportunities and you can invest them in the kingdom of God and they can be remembered and be useful for all eternity. And that's what Paul is calling us to here. Make the best of every opportunity. So there are activities that are not necessarily sinful it is simply that in light of in eternity in, in light of heaven and hell in, in light of the eternal glory of God that they're just trivial you can choose to use uh, these opportunities this time that you have watching tv endlessly engaged engaged in vain hobbies that don't serve to advance the glory of God or to help your fellow man. Or you can take that time and you can use it for the glory of God and for the good of others. And I think that's what Paul is calling us to recognize here. Make the best use of your time. Take advantage of every opportunity that God has given you. I want to say something here because there's always extremes, right? We can be over here where we're just carelessly you know, wasting our time or we can get over here where we feel like unless we're sharing the gospel with somebody every minute of the day or, you know, doing something specifically related to uh, church that, that we're not doing what we ought to. Right. And, and you can become overwhelmed. So there's extremes. There are ditches on both sides of this road. And we want to go down the middle. One, one thing we need to recognize is we are creatures. We're created and the kingdom of God doesn't depend on us. So that, that, that tells us some things about the way that we use our time. Uh, one, one of the things is this. As creatures, there are just certain things that we have to do that take up time, and God understands this, right? They're, they're just part of our creatureliness. It, it is who we are. So, so things like, you know, 92 days of your life will be sent, spent sitting on a toilet 
approximately, give or take. Some of you, it might be a little bit more. Some of it, you're a creature, right? You're not God. Uh, you, you, you don't have endless energy and time, right? Uh, and so we just need to recognize that six months of your life average will be spent waiting in line for things. If you sleep eight hours a day and, and you live to be 75 years old, 25 years of your life will be spent sleeping dead to the world, right? You're a creature. And so we just need to, to recognize that something like a third of your life will probably be spent at, at work. And right, God commands us to work. So this is, this is what we have to do. Beyond this, uh, God gives us a Sabbath day, right? A rest day, one day out of every week. He expects his people to take a break because you're a creature. You're created. You don't have endless sources of energy and power. You are not God who, who never wearies or gets tired. You need to take a break. And so God understands that, right? Consider even Jesus in the way that he used his time. Jesus went to weddings. He went to feast. He ate at people's house. He enjoyed company. There, there were times when he was weary and he would retreat from ministry and from the crowds and he would get alone by himself and rest because in the incarnation, he was a human being and, and he needed to rest, right? And so that just helps us understand like we can't just be going all the time and, and only doing things that are church related. God understands that. And yet, when we step back and even given those caveats that we need to rest, we need to spend time with our family, uh, there, there's going to be times where we've got to sleep and take naps. That's not sinful. Yet even when, when, we, when we factor in all of that, I think most of us are aware of the reality is that we waste a lot of time on things that are not that important, Right? It's true that God does not expect us to devote every waking moment to the advancement of the gospel or to being in a, a, a Bible study at church. It's unrealistic to think that every waking moment or every spare minute we're not at work would be consumed with some sort of good deed. God understands that. Yes, yet the reality is that most of us are not making the most of our time. We're not redeeming the time. Honestly, consider your, your time. I didn't dig up all the stats about how much time do we spend watching TV? How much time do we spend on social media and, and on our phone? How, how much time do we spend playing Fortnite for, for our children and some of us adults who, who like to play children's games? How, how much time do we spend on the golf course? How much time do we spend on those things? I didn't I didn't factor in all those numbers. I didn't look all that up. But the reality is, even as I'm saying that, you're recognizing, yeah, I'm watching way too much Netflix. Like like things that we used to watch over an eight-year period, eight seasons of something, now we're watching like in eight weeks, right? Because we binge watch TV and we're on our telephones and we're on screens and, and, and we're checking out from reality. I think even as we recognize our creatureliness, our need for rest, our need for relaxation, I think most of us would still admit, yeah, there's a lot of time where I could be doing things for the advancement of the kingdom of God, for the good of others, even just for the good of myself as, as an individual that I'm wasting and spending way too much time. So I think we need uh, to consider these things. Notice here he says, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. This is why you should redeem the time. This is why you should make 
the most of every opportunity. He says, because the days are evil. This seems to indicate, I think, that since the time that we live in is filled with evil, don't become too wrapped up in the things of this age. Like, don't fully invest in this life, right? We're creatures. We have to live in this world. God doesn't call us to come out of this world. He doesn't expect all of us to be missionaries. Like, we understand we live in this world, and yet we recognize that this age is an evil age. And in fact, this world is passing away, John says, along with those who love it. So, so don't get too tied into it. Like, don't, don't put all your eggs in the basket of this age because it's evil. These days are evil and they're passing away. Live in such a way that you take these evil days that will soon be gone and will soon be forgotten and invest them in a way that will be remembered for all eternity. These days are evil, but there's an age that is coming that is eternal and you can invest in that age now. And that's a good investment. Like, like don't put all of your hope and all of your time and wrap it up in this world. Instead, think about the age to come. Do something that is of eternal value. Now, some might think, well, that kind of minimizes our existence here in the present age as if it, this is just throwaway time, right? Like this, this doesn't really count, but that's not true at all. It actually does the exact opposite when you see that these evil days can have eternal value, right? right? The, what you do at work the way that you spend your time this afternoon, right? It can have value for all of eternity. It can be remembered for all of eternity. So, so rather than minimize the way that we think about this life, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's just throwaway time. It's, it's passing away. It, it infuses it with value in reality. It says, no, these days, these Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays that just seem to fly by and we're just kicking back and relaxing and just playing sports and we're, uh, we're on our phones and we're binge watching on Netflix. You can take those days and you can fill those days with, with things that will be of value for all eternity. And so it infuses our days and our time with, with even greater value. I think Jesus understood this principle very well. In John chapter 9, verse 4, he says, we, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. There, there's an opportunity that you have. God has given you life. He's given you a day today in which you can obey God, in which you can do the work that God has for you to do today. But, but that opportunity is fading away for all of us. Some of us have a few more days than others. Uh, none of us knows how many days that we have. But the reality is that that time is pressing in on us when, when we will no longer be able to invest in this way. And Jesus lived that way. Jesus is like, yes, Jesus rested. Jesus went to weddings. Jesus sat and held children on his lap. He, he did the things that we do as human beings, right? He slept. He, he did all of those things. He took rest, but he also understood, I've, I've got this limited window in which I've been sent here to do the works of my father, and I'm going to do them while it's daytime because night's coming when, when I'm not going to be able to do these things anymore. That's what Paul's calling us to do. Redeem your time. You, you've got opportunity. You've got time now to do work for the Lord, to advance his kingdom, to help others 
And you ought to do it while you have that opportunity. We should live in that way. I think our sign still says out there, right? The, the poem, I think Pam put it out there, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Again, that doesn't mean that only, only the times where you're at church studying your Bible or only at, time, at times when you're at home praying, like those are the only things that are going to last for all eternity. No, you can do things wherever you're at, in your family, in your workplace. You can do things for Christ in those environments that will last for all eternity. So, so don't just think like, well, this is work time, and so this is just throwaway time, right? I can't do anything of eternal value here. That's not true at all. You can live for Christ in your workplace in such a way that takes those 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week that you're working and 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 uh, puts eternal value in them, right? If you do them for Christ, if you live for Christ as a witness in your workplace, right? That That is redeeming the time. So we need to live for Christ. Now, I said that we would spend almost all of our time on that first uh, first command, and, and we did. Uh, but we notice here in verse 17, the, the second one, therefore do not be foolish. This is the second contrast. This is the second aspect of living wisely. And I think it goes hand in hand with what we've already been talking about. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here, this word foolish is the idea of senseless or unthinking, you know, just going along without a care in the world. Like you're not thinking about it. You're not engaged. He says, don't be that way. Don't be foolish. Don't live an unthinking life. Instead, understand what the will of the Lord is. So, so we can live this way, right? We can pass our time in an unthinking, unengaged, unexamined kind of way where we just do what's before us and we just like, you know, the old saying is showing up's just 90% of life, right? We just, we just show up and that's, that's kind of our mentality. Paul, Paul says don't live that way. Don't live in a foolish, senseless, unthinking kind of way. Instead, in everywhere that you find yourself, in every aspect of your life, everywhere that you're at, understand what the will of the Lord is. So you're at work, You've got to work 40 or 50 hours a week. Understand and know what the will of the Lord is for you in that place. Be seeking God's will. Say, God, I know that you've put me here for a purpose. Like you've got a reason. There's a will for me to be here. Certainly part of that will, right, is just to provide for my family. And we we understand that. But, But Lord, there might be something else that you want me to do as I'm here. Understand what the will of the Lord is. As you're at home with your children, don't just check out. Like I've worked my 40 hours, so now I just get to, I just need to put my mind in neutral and I don't have to think about anything for the rest of the night, right? I just unwind and, and do whatever I want to do. This is my free time. I get to use it however I want. No, no, no. Paul says, understand what the will of the Lord is in that moment. The, those five or six hours that you have before you go to bed at night, understand what the will of God is for you. See, there's a couple mistakes I think that we we can make. One is we can just go about our life living sort of the pre-made plan for us that's set out by the world. If you do everything, you know, that the world does, right? You you get married, you ha- you build the house, you get the job at the factory, 
you retire at a certain age and then you go off and you vacation or you fish or you hunt or whatever, fill in the blank. Like that's the pre-made script that, that most of us are living by, right? That's just what we do. That's what the world tells us. That's what everybody else is doing. Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't live the pre-made plan. Like a lot of those things may still happen in your life, but you need to be always engaged. What is God's will for my life? What is the will of God for your evening? What is the will of God, young people, for your college years? Uh, for those of you who are, are young and have just gotten married, what, what is the will of God for those years of your life? For those of you who are retired or getting ready to retire, don't think this is the time where I just get to un, uncheck from everything. No, what is the will of God for your retirement? He has a will for you. There's work to be done. Understand what the will of God is. Wherever you are, whatever phase of life you're in, understand the will of God. A second mistake that I think we can make is just assuming that is, as long as we're not in clear sin, then our life is ours to do whatever we please. But what this is telling us is that God has a plan. He has a will for your life, and you need to be seeking that. Like We, we can't get to the point right where we're just endlessly questioning, like, what's the will of God? Like there's this secret hidden thing, and we, we can't find it. We are called just to live our lives, but, but we ought to be pursuing and, and asking for God to guide us and direct us and to understand what his will is for us. Again, I just ask you to consider Christ as you think about this command. Remember that he said, I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. That should be the motto of our life. God didn't put you here to do your will, to, to live out your plan for your life. He put you here to do his will. You need to be seeking that will in every aspect of your life. And then I'll close with this this morning. The, the third contrast that we see here is really that we are not to be drunk with wine, right? Drunk, drunkenness is a sin, clear and plain. Don't get drunk. But the contrast is this. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I said as we began this morning, that the, the way one of the things that we mean when we tell our children be careful is, hey, stay in control. Make sure you don't get in a situation where you're out of control. And yet, in, in kind of a unique way, God is telling us here that a careful life, as far as a Christian, really is one that yields up control. It's a one that is out of control, at least out of our control. Uh, uh, to be filled with the Spirit means to be yielded, to have your life yielded to His control so that you're doing what the Spirit wants you to do rather than what you want to do. If you're going to live a careful life, really the way that you do that is by giving up control of your life to the Spirit of God who's living within you. This morning, Christian, I want you to remember that you ought to be living a careful life because we have an enemy who is seeking to destroy us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and I pray that you would help us to take these words to heart. Spirit, I pray that you would impress them on our minds. I pray that you would help us be serious with our time. I pray that you would help us to see the great opportunity that is set before us. So many of us live as if our, our life is really meaningless or pointless, but we know, God, that you have a will for us. You have a plan for us. You have work for us to do. And I just pray that you would give us a greater sense of that reality in our lives and that you'd give us the wisdom and the fortitude, the discretion to, to live in that way, to live in ways 
that are pleasing to you and that redeem our time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.